بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد my brothers and elders which was quite possibly the most successful army in the world which except towards the end never lost a battle which army muslim yeah muslim no way not by long shot Crusade is something that happens, there's army, not an army, huh? Mongols. Mongols, yeah, Mongols, there's one. But, the, huh? Romans. Who said Romans? Uh, you spoke without speaking, moving your mouth. How do you do that? <laughs> That's right. The Romans. <clears throat> now, why? Any idea? Strategy. Huh? Strategy. Strategy. Leadership, numbers, technology. Well, some of each, but that's not the reason. The reason was the ordinary Roman soldier. The ordinary Roman soldier carried a weight of his equipment, his armor, his sword, which was called the gladius, his, uh, his uh, shield, which was six feet tall. It was it, it completely hit the man. Made of wood, covered with leather. Imagine what it weighs. Plus his equipment, he wore either chain mail or uh, link mail armor. His equipment weighed roughly sixty pounds. That's how many kilograms? Do the do the sum, right? The average Roman soldier marched, the army marched 20 miles every day. And at the end of 20 miles of marching, and this is not a forced march, this is not a fast march, this is a regular marching. Regular march was 20 miles a day. And at the end of 20 miles a day, they built a fort, complete with a moat around it, which is a trench which was twice a man's height, so you are talking about a 12 foot tre uh, trench, uh, I think it was usually about maybe 15 feet wide, stakes on top, they used to take the, the, the earth from the trench and build a wall, on top of the wall were stakes, on top of the wall was a wide enough space for sentries to march. And then inside the camp, it was a standard procedure the way the camp was arranged, it was arranged in the, in the shape of a, of a cross. So, you know, one uh, north, south, east, west, and so on and so forth. They did that before they, went to, before they went to sleep every day. The next day, they did the same thing. Every single day. So, what kind of level of physical fitness are we talking about? They swam rivers. They built bridges. They smashed through forts. 
they were invincible because of the individual roman soldier right he talked about the mongols you know why they were invincible also strategy also generalship also leadership no doubt but the individual mongol soldier the individual mongol soldier was a horseman because the mongol army was almost 100% cavalry the roman army was a mixture of cavalry and infantry the majority were infantry it was supported by supported by cavalry and the cavalry part came in at the time of augustus caesar at the time of julius caesar cavalry was very less very little augustus brought in a lot more but in terms of the mongols they were entirely cavalry now what was the mongol soldier the mongol soldier was a horse rider archer they used what is called a compound bow the drawing power of the compound bow was 150 to 200 kilograms that is equal to lifting 150 kilograms with one hand straight like this you think you can lift weights right try it lift this one chair like this they did that to the extent where the most of them were right handed i mean all, almost all so the right shoulder was huge, the, 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 the the mongol soldier looked as if he was deformed because the right shoulder and the muscles were hugely out of proportion of the left shoulder because of pulling the bow right now that bow the arrow had a lethal range of 1 km the arrow went through plate armor which the russians discovered when they when the mongols uh, came into georgia and and that part of russia it went through plate armor is steel it went through steel like paper it had that kind of power it was the most powerful thing before the invention of the of the gun the roman soldier rode and the 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 uh, mongol soldier rode a horse and he had a string of 7 to 8 horses with him who ran with him if necessary the mongol soldier without dismounting went from one horse to the other horse usually they dismounted because they took the took, took the saddle and put it on the other horse but without saddle he could ride when he was shooting a mongol soldier could put an arrow at 100 paces 100 paces is 300 feet distance through a ring a finger ring that was the level of accuracy right and they developed horse based archery to the extent where when a horse gallops there is a point when all four feet of the horse are in the air that is the point at which the mongol soldier let loose his arrow in one minute a mongol soldier could shoot roughly 12 to maybe 14 arrows per minute what is the level of physical fitness you are talking about here the there is a famous battle in which the 
son of Genghis Khan, his elder son, who later on his orders was executed, uh, fought and defeated the elder son of the Sultan of Khawarizm. And there is a famous part of that battle where the Mongol army chased, and of course, obviously, the, the Sultan's army also, you know, ran that way. The Mongol cavalry traveled 150 miles in one day. To this day, that is the longest horse ride that any human being has ever done on the face of the earth. And I would say, how, would they, how did they eat and drink and so on? They carried a gourd, you know, kaddu bolte ni? Bottle gourd. You are born here, how what will you know about kaddu? Loki. Kaddu, you know? Your father knows, okay. It is a, it is a, a fruit which is, uh, you know, it, it's uh, hollowed out inside and dried. That used to be filled, they used to drink a mixture of mare, horse, mare's blood and milk. They would shoot a hollow arrow into the vein here and draw blood and they would mix it with milk, shake it and keep it and that's what they would drink, pure protein. It's haram, don't drink blood but... And they would have hard cheese under the seat, under the saddle, with the whole day it would get pounded so they would pull it out from here and eat it. They would urinate and defecate in saddle if they, if, if they needed to. There wasn't much defecation because there was almost no solid stuff they were eating. Pure protein gave them instant energy, kept them going forever. They used to say that you could smell a Mongol army before you could see it. So they didn't smell very good. What is the level of physical fitness? Now, why am I telling you all these stories? What does that have to do with anything that we are doing here? How do you get that fit? Tell me. What do you know about Kobe Bryant? Which I, I, I mentioned this in the khutbah after he died. Yes. Say it loudly. Hard work. Disciplined hard work. Every single day. Without exception. Without exception. Now. You might say, well, you know, I'm not about to become a soldier or something. I'm not conquering any countries and whatnot. I'm a poor, miskin Muslim. Eh? Believe me, this rule and this law applies to every single thing in life on one condition. What's that condition? Adam. Shall I repeat the last sentence? You were in a daze at that time, so you came out of the daze now. Okay. What is the one condition? Disciplined hard work is absolutely critically important, provided one thing, and that what is that one thing? Time. Karim? Huh? Every day. I said that already. No. What is the condition? Training. Training. Thoughtful. Zaid. Suleiman. Abdullah. What is the condition? Why would you do this? For whom? 
Take off Allah. Huh? Purpose. You're very close to that. Purpose. Very close. For somebody who? Purpose. Let me build on that. At least he's close to that. For somebody who wants to excel. For somebody who wants to make something of their life. For somebody who wants to make something of their life. Not for everybody. Not for everybody. Let me assure you, the world consists of two kinds of people. You've got people who excel, who stand out and who leave behind memories. And you've got the rest of the world. It's okay. Your choice. Your choice. When I was living here in 1999, because of the change of the, of the century, they were doing a lot of uh, service in America. And the American Society of Trading Development, ASTD, they did a survey and they looked at how many people reach a level of excellence. And then they defined excellence as Olympic gold medal. But that's the level of it. So when you say how many people reach excellence, what's excellence? Olympic gold medal, right? That's the standard. Then they took this standard and they applied it across the board. So in academia, in business, in teaching, in whatever, right? What is the number of people, percentage of people who reach a level of excellence? Guess how many? Less than one. Not so bad. Huh? Five percent. Two percent. Two percent. 2% people reach a level of excellence. 98% people are the great unwashed multitude. They are the sheep. Do we need sheep? Yes or no? Yes, you need sheep. Otherwise, what will you put in the, in the pit in, in Morocco, right? You need sheep, yeah. You need sheep. But your choice. Do you want to be in the pit? Or do you want to be eating the sheep? Your call. I just told you, Olympic gold medal, absolute number one in your field, right? Uh, let me be a little bit kind and say, I'm not saying number one in the whole world, but definitely number one at least in your environment. Less than that is not excellent. It's good, it's okay. The reason I'm telling you all of this stuff is for one very simple reason, that is, you make that choice. Not your father, not your mother, not your spouse, not nobody. You make the choice. Do you want excellence? Or are you okay with being one of the 98%? It's up to you. Because if you are the sheep, what is the destination of the sheep? The pit. Exactly. 100%. The destination of the sheep is the pit. There is no other destination of the sheep. Your call. What do you want to do? Take Rasulullah Answer this question as a outsider, not as a Muslim. Right? For, for this minute, take yourself and put yourself as a completely cold-blooded, objective observer and judge. 
not as a Muslim, I'm not asking you to, I'm actually asking you to remove the hub of Rasulullah the adab of the Rasulullah all of this from your answer, answer as a complete and total objective observer. If you take the life of Muhammad what do you see there? Do you see excellence or do you see the life of an ordinary that 98%? Pure out as an external observer, what do you see? Right? And you're not saying that because you are Muslim with Muhammad. No, 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 no. Because none other than this guy, I've quoted this guy so many, many times. Lamartine, Lamartine, not Lamartine, Lamartine is a school. Lamartine, the French historian who wrote the history of the Ottomans, he called it history of Turkey. He wrote about Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He said, if the grandeur of the vision, the meagerness, I am not using his exact words, but meaning, the grandeur of the vision, the, the meagerness of the means, and, ex, and absolutely astounding results. If these three are the criteria of human greatness, who can dare to compare any other human being with Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Who is saying that? Lamartine, French historian, who was not pro-Muslim, he was not a Muslim, he was not somebody who loved Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He's a purely objective, you might even say, hostile observer of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is making a statement, and that statement obviously has a lot more credibility than somebody who. Loves Rasulullah. You can always say, oh, you don't know, I will. Dr. Ali, of course, he will say it. Even if he's, me, he will be objective, but, you know, you might say, well, no, 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 I, I, I don't believe he's objective because we know he loves Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Of course, he will say it. No, no. This is the man who did not love Rasulullah. He was not a Muslim. He didn't accept him as, as a Muslim. He is purely saying, here is, and what does he say? He said, who would dare to compare anybody with this man? Excellence, right? So my question to you is now, as Muslims, right? As Muslims, if I say I'm a Muslim, and if I say that I believe in Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, then what does it mean? Does it mean singing, singing Anashid, nice Nath Sharif, night Nashid? Listening to Nasheed, crying a few tears, sending durood and salam and salam more on Friday, less on Saturday, whatever you do. Huh? Is, is, that, is, that, is that all it is? Is that even anything of it? Or is it to make my life like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa life? And if the answer is to make my life, what does it mean? Learn to tie a turban? Put on your right shoe, first left shoe? All of this is important. All of this is part of the sunnah. I'm not detracting from that. I'm saying, is that the, did he come to teach you which shoe to, which shoe to put on first or did he come to teach you to stand out as examples of excellence in your communities, in your time? So that it may be said about you that this world 
was a better place because this man or this woman walked on this earth yeah would you like that to happen would you like the world to remember you as somebody who made a difference who changed this world for the better yes or no it won't just happen it will not just happen because nothing just happens allah subhanahu wa taala did not make that rule allah subhanahu wa taala made this rule and what is the rule allah made wa alaysa lil insani illa masa illa masa there is nothing for a man except what he works for whether it's a roman soldier whether it's a mongol soldier whether it's you whether anybody if somebody could have got things by just sitting there there is no one who would have who was more justified to do that than muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself he could have simply sat there and say ya allah give me allah would have given him he didn't do that he worked he starved he bled he was injured he was abused he was emotionally assaulted he was physically assaulted he was almost killed he invested every single thing that he had every single thing his money his time his energy everything in what in that one mission called islam he took no remuneration not one cent not one cent and those who learned from him learned the lesson so beautifully that abu bakr siddiq radhiyallahu anhu when he passed away before he died he called aisha siddiq radhiyallahu anha said there is a piece of land of mine bring that paper he said when i die give this paper to umar ibn al khattab because he is the next khalifa this is more than what the value of this for baitul mal this is more than what i have taken as salary when umar ibn al khattab was dying he was he was uh, stabbed he was bleeding profusely in multiple stab wounds he called his son abdullah ibn umar radhiyallahu anhu and he said i have taken a salary which amounts to so much this is my money put it into the baitul mal i do not want to go before allah saying that i took a salary sayyidina usman never took anything this is a side note i'm mentioning it because this is also important but point being therefore what is your guys plan what do you plan to do wa sallallahu ala nabiyil karim wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in bi rahmatika arhamar rahim